Great to be with you today, this weekend. Thanks for joining us, um, whether you're here or joining us online as well. And happy post-Thanksgiving meal, food coma recovery weekend. This is it. You've made it. You guys look great. Hopefully you had a really good Thanksgiving with your family, whether you had people in town or you traveled. Um, thanks for being here with us this weekend. My name is Chris Garcia. I am the high school youth pastor here at Mission, and you've maybe seen me around. I'm typically here also on Sunday nights. That's when our high school youth group meets from 6.30 to 8.30. So just kind of throwing that out there while I'm up here. If you have any high school age students in your household, or if you have any friends who have students who you know are trying to get involved um, here at the church or looking just for something to do, um, have them come hang out with us on Sunday nights. We have a blast. So, this weekend we are launching into our Christmas series, and if you think it's too early for that still, well, buckle up, because here we go. And we're calling it Expecting, and we've split it up into a few different parts. Um, the first one is Expecting a Baby, then Expecting a King, Expecting a Savior, and Expecting a Comeback. And when Pastor Errol asked me to teach on the Expecting a Baby message, and I eagerly said yes, I realize there's a few weird ways you could interpret that. So I'm here to set the record straight and let you know that Maddie and I are not currently expecting. There's no crazy announcements to be made, although can you imagine that if it was like that this weekend? That'd be nuts. But no crazy announcement to make today, all right? So if you're waiting for it, I'm sorry. It'll be in the Lord's timing. But we are here expecting. Expectations, they're a, kind of a great thing, aren't they? Expectations. When you have an expectation for something, it's the best because it'll just set you up to know exactly how something's gonna go. And then, when your expectations become a reality, all is right in the world and there's peace on earth, right? But then, and usually more often than not, our expectations, when they're not met, can lead to such a huge disappointment. It can lead to just a giant disappointment for what we thought was gonna come out of a situation. Maybe your expectations for your job schedule didn't turn out to be what you wanted. Your expectations of your spouse to be kind or patient has not been turning out how you expected. Expectations with coworkers have not turned out. Maybe even just the expectation you had for the trajectory of your life has turned out to be totally different than you would have thought a, a month ago, two years ago. Expectations can let us down big time. I've been about almost a year and a half now into marriage, and I've realized that probably the one thing that, that makes a marriage healthy is just communicating expectations clearly. Like Maddie and I will miss each other on expectations for big things or little things all the time, and it's usually once we've actually talked through those that we, we find that our relationship is just running so much smoother. But expectations aren't a bad thing, right? We just have to recognize that they're never going to be perfect. Our expectations will never be perfect. Now, when it comes to expecting a baby, there are a few things you can expect that I will share with you now from secondhand experience, okay? You can expect that you have no idea what to expect. You have no idea how much sleep that you're going to get on a given night. You have no guarantee that the nice things that you've kept too low to the floor are going to be there the next day, or that your pets are going to feel safe in your home when you have a child running around, crawling around, right? You have to get those little like 
you guys know those like plastic outlet covers and you have to like put them all over the place and then they're super hard to get off afterwards? I don't know, oddly specific, but it happens. You have to like totally change your whole home for this child, this just ball of destruction, right? You have no clue what to expect, but there are a few things you can expect. You can also expect that this baby is gonna change family dynamics. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, or it just kind of makes things awkward between in-laws and your parents. It can, it can be interesting when you add a baby into the mix. You can also expect with a baby just a general disruption. This baby is going to change your life, your job schedule, right? You might have to take time off work or, or, or quit your job altogether, right? It, it causes so much change. It's potentially going to transform you as well, maybe even into a better version of yourself. You can expect a deeper love and care that you didn't know was in you before until now you've had this child. And the expectation game for a baby is all the more unpredictable when you weren't expecting a baby in the first place. And that brings us to Mary and Joseph, expecting a baby that they didn't expect. But they weren't alone in this, no one was fully ready for a baby Messiah. People were expecting a Messiah. Israel had been waiting and was long expecting that their savior was finally gonna arrive, right? But expecting a baby Messiah? They were waiting for a conqueror, someone who was gonna come in, you know, wipe out Rome, put them in their rightful place, and then elevate Israel. Not this child coming into the world, born in a manger, just in this average family, no one was expecting that. And yet this is exactly how God chose to bring about the redemption of all mankind. And while the Christian faith definitely causes us to expect the unexpected, there are a few things we can expect about our God through the story of the Christ child. Our passage today has three teachers that are gonna help us prepare our hearts for the Messiah that many of us love and follow. First ones are Joseph and Mary, then we're gonna look at Simeon, and then Anna. So first we're gonna start with the holy power couple. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter two, verse 22. Luke chapter two, verse 22. And I'm not gonna have you stand only because we're gonna be looking at a few chunks and then going through it and then reading again. So for the sake of you not having to get up and down, you can remain seated. And while you're turning there to Luke 2.22, um, we're at the point now where this is about 40 days after Jesus was born. So we've already kind of gone through the manger story, and now Mary and Joseph are bringing their 40-day-old child to the temple for a dedication ceremony. There's also some purification rites that are going on here for Mary, but ultimately there's a dedication that has to happen for um, Jesus. So that's kind of where we pick up, and here's verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now right away, the mere fact that Joseph and Mary are in the temple with this child to dedicate him is a royal disruption of their plans. 
there was no way they would have expected their life to be starting off this way. And now they're here. We can learn from Mary and Joseph that we can expect a disruption of our plans. An interesting thing to note as well in this part of the story is the fact that typically for this dedication ceremony, it was optional that um, a couple could pay a redemption fee. So instead of having to present this sacrifice, you could just pay a redemption fee um, to kind of almost waive it in a sense, in, in our terms, I suppose. But they're bringing an offering and they're just bringing two turtle doves, which also kind of shows us their, their kind of financial status, especially at this point, because that was probably like the lowest acceptable offering you could bring for something like this. So not only are Mary and Joseph in a situation entering into a whole, new, a whole new story, chapter of their lives that they couldn't expect, they're also just not like prepared, maybe even financially, to be able to enter into this season. But here they are. This is where the Lord has brought them. We can expect a disruption of our plans. This wasn't Mary and Joseph's five-year plan. It probably wasn't their 20 or 50-year plan. And disruptions aren't always bad but it always brings about a change. Babies bring disruption, every baby does, and so does Jesus. Joseph and Mary probably just wanted to live a quiet, normal life, but that got disrupted, plans changed. They probably had a lot of explaining to do at the holidays or family dinners, I can't imagine, trying to tell this miraculous story, how interesting that would have been for them. But the disruptions continue from here. After Jesus is born, after the story we're looking at today, the selfish King Herod, insecure about a possible baby king competition, has all of the two-year-olds and younger killed in the area. So Joseph and Mary have to move. They relocate to a foreign country, and they're there for two years. Can you imagine that? Having an unexpected child and then having to move away because the king, this government leader, is targeting your baby, it's insane. It's absolute insanity. And then it goes on from there. The baby Jesus is going to grow up and disrupt the lives of 12 men, his disciples. He has them abandon their jobs to follow him. And then hundreds of men and women would end up following his way. Jesus changed all of their life goals. He became the center point and altered the course of their lives. He interrupted the plans of religious people and the non-religious, the people who had much and the people who had nothing to bring. Man, he took, the, he took a guy who hated his movement and completely changed his whole career, Saul. And Saul ended up becoming one of the most famous missionaries in history. And Jesus is still doing this. He's still changing people's plans in big ways and small ones too. You know, it makes me wonder if Joseph and Mary ever, ever wondered, man, is God for me or not? Like, is he doing this against me or is he with me? I'm sure they wondered that. Maybe you have as well. But what was, what was their response to this disruption? Well, if you look back earlier in chapter one, when Mary is visited by the angel, she receives the news that by the power of the Holy Spirit, she's going to bear the savior of the world. Now, so many of us know this story, right? We know the manger story. Even if maybe you don't come to church that often, you usually hear it around this time of year. But imagine not knowing the results of like where this is heading. 
Often when I read this or other passages I'm familiar with, I'll try and forget how it ends. I kind of block off how it ends and try to put myself in the reality that Mary is facing here. She has no clue what's gonna come of this. All she has to go off of is the words of God by the angel saying that you are going to bear the savior of the world. That's insane. It's wild. But what is Mary's response? Even though that probably barely makes any sense to her, she probably hasn't even thought how she's gonna try and explain this to Joseph, who they're engaged at the time. Even though this would change the course of her whole life going forward, she responds by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. God, I wanna serve you. What you want to be done, may it be. Let it be so. That's Mary's response. To face the biggest course change in history and say yes to God is no easy thing. To say yes, God, I'm gonna trust you in this even though it's not anything I could have expected for my life. In our walk with God, we should expect our plans to be disrupted. Or the way I like to put it because it's gonna get stuck in your brain is to say, and you have to say this with an accent, Surrender yo agenda. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. Surrender yo agenda. My students know this one. I taught this last year. Surrender yo agenda. It's basically kind of a funny way, and I'm going to get this trademarked, trust me, is a funny way of saying I'm going to hold my plans for my life in an open palm, not keep them closed-fisted to myself. I'm going to hold these with an open palm and surrender it before the Lord. Say, God, God, I want your will to be done in my life, not just what I want. And this doesn't mean that you have to abandon your passions or your skills, your hobbies, not at all. It just means that in whatever you're doing in your life or wherever you're heading, if you're, if you're planning you know, a big move or if you're planning on going to college soon, it's to say, God, I wanna hold this with an open palm before you. I'm gonna surrender it before you. Don't be like Herod, trying to overthrow God's plan with what you want but instead respond the way that Mary does. Expect the disruption. God's plans are trustworthy. Are you willing to follow after them? Our next teacher is Simeon. And, and this part of the story has always stood out to me because Simeon is the only guy in the whole narrative who's expecting the baby Messiah. And he hasn't even met him yet, but he's the only one who's actually expecting him. The passage is gonna point out his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, and that's what ultimately guides him to the temple on this day, right? And, and his job, it was probably part of his job to pray over hundreds, maybe thousands of babies, you know, coming to the temple and praying over them. This was probably normal for him, but this one child is different. So he receives a word from the Lord that he's not gonna die until he sees the Messiah. So by listening to the Spirit, he goes into the temple on this day. Simeon was prepared. Follow along with me starting in uh, verse 27 of chapter 2. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. What an amazing blessing he gives to see this baby, can't even talk, probably has only recently you know, been, been opening his eyes and, and doing more motions. Like, this is just a baby. And he sees this child and says, I have seen your salvation. He knows. Simeon is prepared. And then it goes on. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. But then Simeon's not done. Look at the next verse. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's kind of a weird response, right? Like, what does that mean? Imagine going up to a baby and being like, oh, this little muffin's gonna pierce your soul with a heart, with a sword. Like, what in the world? Like, what are you talking about? Simeon is basically saying here, this child is going to cause upheaval, right? This child is going to be hated by some. He's going to expose the hearts of man. And even your own heart, your own soul is going to be exposed by this child. It's a weird way to say it, but there's so much truth there to recognize that we shouldn't expect just simple peace in this life, we should expect that there's going to be upheaval, right? We can expect pain. Simeon reveals to us that we should expect pain and trouble as Christians not, and, and not just to be blindsided by it. If you expect the Christian life to be easy and comfortable, you may believe in Jesus, but you don't believe Jesus. If you just think this Christian life is supposed to be easy. You might believe in Jesus, but you don't believe Jesus. Here's what I mean by this. Adult Jesus actually guarantees that we're gonna have pain and trouble in this life. In John 16, he tells his closest followers, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In Christ, we do receive peace, But this world is going to bring trouble. This world is going to bring trouble. If there's one thing you remember from this whole message, or at least this point, I hope it's this. The Christian life isn't defined by a lack of pain, but by Jesus' peace within it. Our faith, the Christian life, is not defined by a lack of pain, but by Jesus' peace within it. There is pain in this world. It's present and it's real. But Jesus offers the cure to the disease that plagues our world, that we all suffer from, sin. Growing up and basically through my whole childhood, my right ear has issues. My right eardrum doesn't release pressure correctly so there will be pressure that will like build up behind it or fluid, it's kind of gross, but that would happen to me a lot as a kid and it would be super painful. But uh, I had a great ear doctor, this specialist, who would you know, do surgeries to put a tube in my eardrum so that it could relieve the pressure and other, other types of things that would help. But ultimately, one of the things that he would say most often when I would come in for a visit is he'd say, hey, Chris, I want you to plug your nose 
and then blow out your nose so that you can pop your ears. Maybe you've tried doing that on like a plane or you chew gum on a plane and it'll make your ears pop with the pressure. My ears just don't do that naturally. I have to manually do it myself. And he would tell me, hey, make sure you're doing this. It's gonna relieve the pressure, right? You'll feel less pain. But I would never do it. I would never do it. I would come into my next appointment and he'd say, hey, are you popping your ears? And I'd be like, no. It's kind of like when you go to the dentist and they're like, all right, uh, are you flossing? And you're like, no. It's like that, but with popping my ears. I would never do it and here's why. It was, it, it was like a mental game in my head where the initial pain of having to pop my ears was greater than the relief I would experience afterwards. That's what I thought. That the pain I'm gonna have to go through just to make my ears pop is too much. It's too much for me to bear. So instead of doing it to get to that relief, I just wouldn't do it at all. Even though popping my ears, even though it would be painful, was the remedy. So is Jesus. When Simeon is talking about a sword piercing your soul, that imagery is purposefully, you know, very intense because there's going to be a transformation that needs to take place in order for us to be fully healed in him. Jesus wants to bring us to the deepest parts of ourselves, the nooks and crannies of our hearts to bring about a healing transformation to all of it. He doesn't ask to be a hobby in your life or just a once a week kind of relationship. He wants to transform and heal every aspect of you. And this process isn't easy. It's going to be painful. It requires us to be honest with ourselves and where we're at, to name our sins and failures, and then bring them before the Lord and leave them at the foot of the cross, knowing all the well that his perfect forgiveness and grace is sufficient for us. It's the process of repentance that we see in scripture. And I wanna say too, church, if you are currently in a season that just seems bombarded with pain, maybe you're not you know, expecting the pain isn't where you need to be at, it's like I'm already there, I'm in it right now. If you're in a season that is just bombarded with mental stress or hardship, I wanna encourage you by inviting you just to look even closer at the Christ child. The fact that God became a baby, the lowest, most unexpected position, should tell us something. Jesus was made low so that he could raise us up from death to life. There's a show that Maddie and I loved watching, uh, especially last year, called West Wing. It's a little, it's a bit older, but it's, a such, it's such a good show. The writing is fantastic. And there's this one episode of the West Wing where one of the characters, Josh, has recently been through a trauma where there was a, an assassination attempt on the president and he was injured in the crossfire. So the episode takes place a few weeks after that, but Josh is still struggling with things that will trigger him, like loud noises, and he has these anxiety attacks and panics that he just can't control. And he finally, he finally makes the decision to go see a counselor, someone who can talk to him about it. And throughout the episode, he's kind of working through this pain in his life. And at the end of the episode, he comes out of the counseling session finally, and he runs into one of his friends, his coworkers, named Leo. And Leo has also been through his own struggles, and, and they meet up, and Josh says to Leo, he's like, man, how do I know if I'm actually gonna get better? Like, am I ever going to actually get past this? How do I 
know I'm getting better. And Leo looks at him and, and his response is a story. He tells the story and here's what, here's what the story he shares. He says, this guy's walking down the street when he falls in a hole. The walls are so steep that he can't get out. A doctor passes by and the guy shouts up to him, hey, hey, can you help me out? I'm stuck. And the doctor sees him and writes a prescription, throws it down the hole, and then walks on. And then a priest comes along and the guy shouts up, Father, I'm down, I'm stuck in this hole, can you please help me out? And the priest writes a prayer and throws it into the hole and then moves on. And then a friend walks by and he says, hey, Joe, Joe, I'm stuck down here, can you please help me out? And his friend jumps down into the hole with him. And our guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both stuck down here. And his friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before and I know the way out. That's Jesus' response to us. Jesus' position to become a human, to become a baby, enter into this world and then walk through life. Walk on the same ground that we walk on. Walk through situations that we walk through. Jesus says, yeah, I've been down here too. I know the way. Pain will happen. Family drama during the holidays may happen. But we can approach these circumstances knowing that Jesus is with us in and through all of our struggles, all the way, because he's walked where we're walking right now. Anna is our last teacher here in Luke chapter 2, verse 36, if you jump down there. And she's going to show us that we can expect redemption. We can expect redemption. Now, Anna was a prophet, so she's bringing the word of the Lord to the Lord's people. And we're going to see in this passage that she's older, but she's, she's devout, and she's always in the temple. So read with me here, starting in verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And we'll pause there. That's basically a weird way of just saying that she was a virgin until they got married. It's just kind of a weird way of saying that. But she was faithful to her husband and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. I love that. What, a, what an amazing woman this is. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. So Anna is in the temple night and day. She's a widow, she's older in age, but she is out here worshiping God. And then we read on, verse 38. Coming up to them, that's Mary and Joseph, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. How was Anna so hope-filled especially in a season of, of life where you wouldn't expect someone like this to be so all out on fire for God in the temple and now speaking to anyone who would listen basically about what? The redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is hope-filled because she lived with a confidence that God is at work and that he's keeping his promises. She recognizes that God is going to redeem all things. And redemption basically just means God making all things right, 
reversing the bad, restoring the good. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's John's way of saying, hey, evil is gonna get snuffed out in the end. When we have this expectation for redemption, it totally gives us a new outlook of gratitude in our lives. It produces gratitude. And this is the same outlook that the early church had. Once people were all in for Jesus, man, whether they were rich or poor, they were grateful to God. Whether they were in awesome circumstances or they were being thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, they were grateful to God. How, why? Because they knew that God didn't follow their plans, which were usually disrupted. Instead, they followed his faithful plan. They knew that God didn't bring a happy-go-lucky lifestyle, but that life will often be difficult, yet be transformative. This God would change their world for the best, and they expected him. Whether they would see the redemption of mankind in their lifetime or not, they trusted him. Church, to close out, I, I want to leave you with just three ways that we can prepare to expect this Christmas season. First one is be flexible like Mary. Respond to God by saying, whatever you want of me this Christmas, the answer is yes. The answer is yes because I can fully trust you. Holding those plans with an open palm before the Lord. Be flexible like Mary. Be prepared like Simeon. And know that no matter what trauma or drama is entering your story, that Jesus is with you in it and through it. And that you have hope. Be prepared. And bring that perspective to the world, to your families as well, of that hope. And then finally, be grateful like Anna. Because you know that this unexpected baby boy came to restore you in perfect love. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And this is a time where we come before the Lord in remembrance of, of what he has done in our lives. We've been talking about the baby Jesus, the Christ child, but we know and, and see in scripture that ultimately this is just the beginning of his rescue mission for us. That he's going to go and die on the cross and make a way for us to be right with him by taking our sin and when we come before the table in communion, it's an opportunity to both remember that and also to be able to confess with the Lord. There's this line from a song that kind of ties the baby Jesus to the crucified Jesus so well um, that I sang back in college. And the lyric says, he who created the stars and the sea now cannot lift his head. Look at his hands, so tiny and soft. One day they will be pierced at Calvary. So as we enter into communion, I would encourage you, once you grab the cup and the bread and return to your seats, I would encourage you to spend some time being real with God, to ask him, Lord, Lord, where do you see in my heart areas where I need to just totally, totally surrender to you and seek your forgiveness in? And I'd also ask that if you don't claim Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that you refrain um, from taking communion as this table is for Christians, but I also wanna encourage you that as you sit in your seats to, to wrestle with this idea of what we've been talking about today. Who, who is this Jesus to you? What brought you here this morning to church? And spend some time wrestling with that. What does this Jesus mean to you? I'm available, the pastors here at this church are available. We'd love to talk to you and dialogue more if you're curious about what we've been talking about today.
So if you would, we also have gluten-free options at some of the tables as well. You can exit your rows on your left and then return on your right and grab the bread and the cup.